want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Today we are going to conclude. Well, actually, I take that back. We're not going to get through the entire, the entire seventh chapter of the book of Romans because there's a lot of material there. Um, and I don't want to keep you beyond your capacity to tolerate me. Amen. Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. Say amen when you find it. If you need a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles. You can put your hand up at this time. Somebody will put a Bible in your hand if necessary. Amen? Romans 7, 13 through 20. And by the way, the title that I have for you is The Battle Within. The Battle Within. And the Bible reads, that which is good then, did that which is good then bring death to me? And Paul says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin." For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You got through that. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you so much for your word and your presence this morning. We thank you this morning for it. I'm going to thank you for your word again. It's the means by which you transform us. It's the means by which you make us more like your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Father, give us understanding today. Help me to convey publicly what you have revealed to me in secret. We thank you for your word at this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people say... Amen, amen, amen. I got one witness, one witness. She is a radical child of God right here. Amen. I think it is safe to say that at this point in this letter to the Romans, Paul's audience has been coming along just fine in their understanding of the nature of the gospel. But we also know that according to tradition, it didn't come easy for them to wrap their hearts and minds around the concept of salvation in Christ Jesus. We know that according to tradition, they were used to a systematic other than that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't easy for them to accept the truth that Paul the Apostle was declaring to them. But I think it's safe to say with all the questions that Paul the Apostle raised from the book From chapter 1 to this point, and all the answers that he has thoroughly given, I think it's safe to say that the Roman Jews um, who had accepted Jesus, they were coming along in terms of understanding these wonderful truths found in Jesus Christ. Last week we presented information concerning the nature of the law, if if you can recall. And we also gave a general idea about why the Lord instituted the law in the first place. It was absolutely necessary. And I think today we're going to touch on that in, 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 a few, in a few ways. Today we are going to talk about the vicious nature of our sinful condition. How many know that you possess a sinful nature that will in fact drive you crazy if you are not careful? I believe it is majorly important for every believer to know just how crude the old man is within us and what it's, what it's capable of, especially when we turn our backs on it. So my theme to you this morning is the battle within. The battle within. And I want you to think about this in the context of a war or in the context of a struggle. 
How many struggle from time to time with this influence that exists within us? A part of us wants to do the thing that is right in the sight of God. But then from time to time, there's this overwhelming concern that we live with concerning that, that part of us that wants to drive us further and further away from the things that pertain to God. Is that just me this morning? I, I don't think so. I, I think every child of God struggles with that, right? And we often wonder, why is that the case? Why didn't God just simply eradicate the sinful nature altogether? Perhaps... We'll answer some of those questions here today. I want you to give you a context. I want you to, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5 really quickly. And I want you to see a verse with me. Uh, this verse is going to serve to establish a little bit of context as we delve into these verses in Romans chapter 7. Now we're talking about the sinful nature and its capacity within us to drive us insane if we are not careful. Galatians 5.17 reads... As follows, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Did you get it? I'm going to read that again. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There it is. There's a, there's a really quick contrast that Paul the Apostle made in this particular text. In fact, he covers this same contrast in Romans chapter 7. That is, that there's a dual nature with you and I. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you possess... If we could put it safely that way, a dual nature, a part of us that wants to please God, but a part of us that wants to displease or dishonor God in every single way possible. There's a battle taking place within us. And I think we are guilty in this society today, not here in California, but this Western culture here in whether it's the continental U.S. or Great Britain, this Western culture. I think we are guilty of, of many ways in not talking a lot about this battle that exists within us. And I'm, I'm belaboring this point for a reason, for a reason. We're going to get to whatever it is we get to. Amen. But I think it's important for us to understand that there is a battle that exists within us. It's the reason why we, we labor as often as we do. It's the reason why we struggle as often as we do. It's the reason why we live, I don't know about you, but I do, why we live with so many unanswered questions, at least from time to time, concerning this, this difficult life that God has blessed us with. It's like a bittersweet situation. Some days we're up and some days we're down. Some days the, the sky is blue over our heads and some days it seems as if it's always raining. And then we wonder whether God is responsible for all of this stuff. And then sometimes, just maybe sometimes, we point the finger at God. At least society by and large does in fact, does in fact blame God for the circumstances that we live with. On a daily basis. How many, how many are tracking with me so far? And oftentimes we wrestle with this. Why is it that life is not easier than what it is? Especially if it is true that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. Why is it that we have this struggle? And the Bible gives us answers to these questions. This particular text today is going to answer some of these questions. Look with me to verse 13. Romans 7, verse 13. It reads, Did that which is good then bring death to me? And Paul says, By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And by the way, those of you who are visiting here with us this morning, what we are doing, you're probably wondering why we, you know, this context, what it is we're doing here. Uh, we're actually taking the time to go through the entire book of Romans and we're doing it in an expository manner. We're going verse by verse through, through the entire book of Romans and it just so happens that we are in uh, Romans chapter 7. Now I want you to look at the verse again. I want you to notice that the subject matter is still the law. The phrase is, did that which is good, look at that verse, did that which is good, 
That's a reference to the law. And last week we talked about that. We talked about the law and we answered perhaps in some small measure why God in fact instituted the law in the first place. We're going to cover that again today uh, because I think it's extremely important. But I want you to notice that in this text, even though Paul the Apostle raises the subject of the law again, he sort of changes gears a little bit because he wants his, he wants his audience to continue tracking with him concerning the subject of the law. But this time he wants them to understand it from a different perspective. And remember, by the way, that the, what the context of the entire chapter is. Paul the Apostle, his overall goal was, the, was for the Roman audience to thoroughly understand the grace of God. So, in part, the subject is the law, at least in some small measure, but the overall context of the passage is the grace of God. The Roman Jewish converts to Christianity were struggling a little bit with this concept of grace, this salvation by faith and by faith alone. And so Paul the Apostle raises the subject of the law so that they can thoroughly understand it and, and, and truly understand why it was canceled. The fact that you and I, if you know Jesus Christ, we are dead to the law. And we are dead to sin in principle, and we are dead to sin in practice. That's the wonderful good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? The point that Paul was trying to make here in this one particular verse, verse 13, is that, is that there was nothing wrong. Just It's a simple point. There was nothing wrong with the law. I want you to look at verse 7. <clears throat> Try to make sense, sense of this. In verse 7, Romans 7, 7, uh, the implied response by that initial question. Notice, notice he begins the verse with a question. And I think the implied um, response by that initial question was that somehow the law was imperfect. Especially considering since great lengths were taken to cancel it. That the law was somehow imperfect. And Paul says, no, God forbid, that's not the case at all. The law was not imperfect. And then in this particular verse, verse 13, the implied response represented by this question seems to be that the law has somehow destroyed us because it is holy. That the law has destroyed us because it is holy. And in both cases, Paul the Apostle says, no, God forbid, that is not the case. It's almost as if he is saying the law in Romans 7, 7, the law was not too weak in that it couldn't help us, in that it was imperfect in that sense. And in this verse, verse 13, it wasn't too strong that it destroyed us. Neither is correct. There was a reason for why the law was given to us. Look at the verse in verse 13 again. It says, did that which is good bring death to me? Paul says, God forbid, the law is not the cause for our death. Now, what's he mean by the term death there? I think it's, I think it's the term condemnation, right? Condemnation and ultimately eternal damnation. The law brought about our death. It exposed, we're going to get there, let's see, in um, go to Romans 6.23, I want you to see this, you probably can quote it off the top of your head, because we're trying to answer the question that Paul raises here. Romans 6.23 says, at least just the first portion of it, it says, for the wages or the reward of sin is what? The wages or the reward of sin is death. And so the question here in this particular text is sort of raising this idea that the law has brought about death within us. But look at what Paul says in the verse. He says, it was sin producing death in me. So the law was not responsible for what happened, for this condemnation, for this conviction, for this burden that mankind lives with on a daily basis. God is not responsible. And it's important to point that out because when trouble comes our way, we have this default mechanism within us to blame God for everything. Or am I alone in that? 
No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Right? We, society blames God for everything. And that's just not the case at all. I want you to take this principle from this verse. And I want you to amplify it across the planet, if you would. Just use your imagination and ask yourself why the world is filled with so much trouble today. And we know that the world is extremely chaotic. Especially with everything that is happening today in the Middle East. And all those deaths that are happening. Did you know that thousands die weekly in the Middle East? Someplace, thousands die weekly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a travesty. So, in, with regard to this first, the only acceptable and reasonable response on our part, on the part of mankind, is that... <clears throat> lost my train of thought. So I think I got to... I'm trying... You see what I'm doing, right? You, you know, those of you who are part of this church, this church know that I use glasses, but I'm trying to get through it without them. Right? Parenthetically speaking, here's a little humor. Why is it, I don't, I don't, I think it's some, some sort of scam, right? Why is it that when you put on a pair of glasses, your eyes get worse? Why is that? Because now I put them on one day because Vet and Jen gave them to me. I just wanted to put your names out there. They, they gave me these glasses because they saw me struggling one day, right? And now I can't put them down. Why is that? Just a little side note. Huh? Because I needed them. I know I needed them, but Lord have mercy, my eyes are getting worse. Now I can't even see my wife. (laughs) Janine says, I don't appreciate you talking like that. Okay. The only acceptable, let me just read it. The only acceptable and reasonable response is that mankind is filled with sin and that God is not responsible for it. I want you to think about that. And I want you to do that over and over and over again until there's no trace of blame towards God in your heart. We're imperfect. The subject matter here is the sinful nature. And if you're anything like me, remotely, there are days when you get up and you wonder when it's all going to stop. The pain, the issues, the drama, the trauma... The, the phone calls, all this stuff that is happening. I tell you, I'm pulling my hair out because of what's happening back home with my granddaughters. I mean, this is it's a burden that I'm living with. And sometimes I have, I have not done it. I'm, I'm entertaining it right now out loud for the very first time. But, you know, I've made a sacrifice. My wife and I, we've made our sacrifices. We've, we've all made sacrifices, right? And so we, we kind of, we go, Lord, okay, I'm doing this for you. Am I really doing it for God? We, I'm doing this for you, and I, I need you to handle me in these particular areas, right? Ron Muir says, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. And, and, and you know, it, it seems as if this is my struggle, so you forgive me. And so my, my granddaughters are going through difficult times right now. And I was really close. We were really, really, really close when I was living back east. Because my son is just... He can easily be the most irresponsible person on the planet, right? Going from job to job, most of the time he's not even working, right? And so I'm asking, Lord, you promised, and you told me, and you confirmed it, and you assured me, and you revealed it, and you sent me so and so. And now why are all these things happening, right? Am I the only one who lives like that from time to time? No, I don't think. Come on, let me see your hand. Don't be scared. Come on, let me see your hand. The rest of you are in denial. You see that? Look around. The rest of you are in denial. Listen, it happens. We have this sinful nature. We live with these problems and we wonder why. We wonder why. That's that, that's that fundamental question that we ask ourselves if we are not careful. If we are not careful. The second voice, verse, I mean, <clears throat> this, the second point... <clears throat> The second point in this verse that I want you to, I want to try to get across is that um, we have to answer the question, what was the reason for the law? Because it comes up right there. Paul says that the law wasn't the thing that slayed us. The law wasn't the thing that put us to death. Our sin did that. So what was the purpose of the law? Um, According to this verse, the reason was to expose and incite both. Not just to expose, but to incite our wicked nature into activity. 
Look at the verse. It says, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and that it might become sinful beyond measure. Exposure and incitement. Incited into activity. And to them, to, to Paul's audience, that didn't seem reasonable. It just didn't seem reasonable. And in some way, it just doesn't seem reasonable. Right? Why would something like that be so important to God? And the answer is that it was necessary so that mankind would realize his depravity. It's the reason why the law was given in the first place. God wanted to make sure that we saw ourselves the way he does. Because remember, rebellion took place in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. That perfection that mankind was created with was lost. The dominion that God blessed man with was lost. And God had to bring about our restoration. He instituted the law so that man's sin would be exposed. What we talked about, one of the things, one of the things that we talked about last week um, was that until the law was given, mankind lived with this sense of self-assurance. Or this sense of self-complacency, right? Like a, like a child who really doesn't know what he or she is doing until mommy says, you should not be doing that, right? And sort of the instructions that we give our children expose their ignorances. Now the child knows that that one thing you keep saying over and over again is not really acceptable. That is actually wrong and it shouldn't be done. And so that's what God did. He gave us a law to reveal our sinful nature and to point us to, to the cross. Right? Not just to leave us hanging dry, hanging out to dry. He exposes sin. He incites its activity within us so that we can realize how much it is we really need him in our lives. Now I want you to ask yourself, is it possible to be zealous about something in life and yet be completely on the wrong side of the issue? Is that possible? Uh, of course it is. Now, I'm talking about this concept of self-assurance or self-complacency. The reason why God gave us the law, right? To expose our evil, to expose our ignorance to us. And uh, of course it's possible, the answer to that question. I mean, I was ignorant all my, the early years of my life uh, with regard to politics. I, <laughs> I was, I, it's like one day... When I was in my later teens in, in college, right? In, be careful, be careful. One day I understood that I was wrong the entire time. My views of politics, I'm not going to get into it, don't worry. But that my views of politics were completely wrong. And today I vote as a conservative as a result. I was ignorant. I adopted the tradition of my families. And one day, somebody shared information with me, and my eyes were opened. And I want you to understand, I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. I want you to see this. <clears throat> we're talking about the law and the reason for which it was instituted. Acts chapter 9, 7 through 9. I got a race, so I'm going to read. Acts 9, 7 through 9, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And here's a question, why do you suppose he did not eat or drink? It's because of the principle regarding the removal of ignorance. This was the point in his life when he realized that he had been wrong the entire time. God, God himself, Christ himself, confronted Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus. We don't have time to get into why it is he was actually on that road, what his intents were. But he was confronted by Jesus Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his eyes were opened that day in a sense, and he realized that he was wrong the entire time. Now look at, look at the text again, Acts 9, 10 through 12. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. 
And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. See, now all of a sudden, Paul the Apostle finds himself praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias came in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Notice it says that Paul the Apostle was praying and that he had received a vision from the Lord. Why, why, why do you think that was? Because Paul was completely broken. Truth had destroyed his self-assurance and the ignorance was now gone from his life. He understood that he was wrong. For three days he did not eat and he did not drink because of the heavy conviction that he was under. And he knew that he had to get himself right with Jesus Christ. The one he was persecuting. The Bible tells us clearly that he hauled people away to prison. He killed many of them. And the list is probably endless. And these are the things that he was responsible for in his ignorance. And it's the reason, we got to get back to the point, is the reason why God confronts us the way that he does. And not just, the, not just by having implemented the legal system, the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, is the reason why God, God confronts us on a regular basis. Some of you are probably here today burdened with heavy conviction. And it may not necessarily be because of sin. It may very well be because God is trying to lead you. He's trying to guide you. He's trying to instruct you. Right? Because as children of God, we are supposed to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God. For what purpose? For what purpose? So that we can fulfill the will of God this side of heaven. Amen, somebody? And so God ministers to us. He woos us. He convicts us by His Word. And He uses it all the time. This is the application that you and I have to leave here with. I want you to see this. I want you to go to verse 14. Let's move along. Verse 14, Romans 7, verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Notice he begins this word, this verse with the word for. And it's because it's intended to serve as an extended explanation for the subject in the preceding verse. They go together. The first point here is sin produced death in Paul through the law because he couldn't measure up to its holy standards. Sin produced death in Paul. Through the law because he couldn't measure up to its holy standard. In other words, it was either going to validate him if he were perfect or condemn him if he were sinful. It condemned him, it condemned him because it found him wanting. That's what I said before. He didn't measure up. And you and I can't measure up to God's holy standard either. It's the reason why we had to die to the law. But I'm not going to go down that road because that was last Sunday's sermon. The second point here in verse 14 is this. Taking ownership of our sinful condition is imperative. Taking ownership of our sinful condition is imperative for every child of God. Until you and I do so, we're going to find ourselves struggling with instability. On a regular basis. And Paul is drilling this point concerning the sinful nature. Now the wonderful thing about Jesus is that we're dead to sin. Right? So I'm thankful that I am saved today. How about you? Let me see your hand. If, if, for, no, if for no other reason to wake yourself up. Put your hand in the air. Let me see. Let me see. Amen. 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 Right? It's a glorious thing that we are dead to sin, right? And that God doesn't hold this to our account. But it doesn't mean you no longer possess a sinful nature. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle, struggle through life if you and I are not careful. There are passions, there are desires, there are things that, 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 that haunt us on a regular basis. Things that we want to do that we know in our minds we should not be doing. And what's more is that we don't even have the capacity to keep ourselves from doing these things. Especially when we are conditioned in these areas. There's so many categories, so many things. How many wrestle with television? You spend excessive, 
You spend excessive amount, amounts of time watching television. Excessive amount of time on the internet. Excessive amount of time on your phone. Mm, that's everybody. That's everybody. We can't even put these things down. And, and you're telling yourself on a regular basis, put it down, put it down, put it down, Chuck, put it down. And here it is. It's like it's, it might as well be glued to our hands. Am I right or am I wrong? It's the sinful nature. We do the things we know we shouldn't be doing. Let's move on. How often have you heard someone blame God for the problems in the world? Too often, right? Who is really responsible for the problems that exist in the world? Who is really responsible? Paul's making the point in this verse. The fact is that we must take ownership of it because we are responsible for it. Now, the third point here, because Paul raises another, this is verse 14. I want you to look at it again. Paul raises another principle in this text. And it's the idea that the existence of our sinful condition always promises future strife. Which is what, in a sense, we've been talking about. The existence is the idea that the existence of our sinful condition always promises future strife. Look at verse 14. He says, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. But I am of the flesh sold under sin. This subject really comes up in the next few verses. But I wanted to, I wanted to make a couple of statements here. Number one. Paul wasn't saying that he was unsaved. Somebody, sometimes we read into this text things that uh, are not really there. Paul wasn't saying that he was unsaved when he used the particular word, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And he wasn't saying that he was a carnal believer either. And he wasn't saying that he was somehow still under the domain of sin. That just wasn't the case. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I wanted to put that out there. That just wasn't the case. In my mind, Paul the Apostle was an educator. And he was advancing this. He was, he was teaching this stuff so that we could understand what we are made of. And so if, if anything at all, he was speaking from that natural perspective. Making emphasis on the sinful nature that you and I possess. And that's my second point. Um, that the opposite is not true either. That as Christians, he was somehow sinless. How many have ever had a conversation with a believer? And that individual alluded to the idea that because we are in Christ, we are sinless. Have you ever heard that before? How many here believe that you are sinless? No, don't put your hand up. Don't put your hand up. I don't want to know. Right? But the fact is that, yes, in Christ, we've been redeemed. We've talked about extensively the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of justification, and all that is glorious. We're not going to go over that again. But it does not mean that we are sinless. It does not mean that we no longer possess a sinful nature. Listen, you have it. You have it. It's the reason why you talk to him the way you do. You have it is the reason why you talk to her the way that you do. It's the reason why we do the things that we do. And Paul the Apostle was emphasizing this. Look at verse 15. Romans 7. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not... For I do... <laughs> These words just drive me insane. Like, really? I have, a, I have enough trouble with my language as it is. But for Paul to throw in these tongue twister terms. For I do not, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not, say that three times really fast. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Many have said that Paul was expressing his concerns um, about some sins that he was actually struggling with. As in an out of control time in his life. Or that he was in and out of the faith as a result. Have you ever heard that? That Paul the Apostle was somehow in and out of the faith as a result. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. You can perhaps make an argument for it if you isolate this chapter from the rest of the book or from the rest of the chapter, from the rest of the Bible for that matter. Uh, but that would be hermeneutic, that would be a hermeneutical violation to the text. Or to sound doctrine. To me, Paul was presenting a contrast between the flesh and the spirit while emphasizing the nature of the flesh. Or at the very least, speaking from its standpoint. And here's the contrast as follows. Number one, that our sinful nature 
is hellbent. Look at the verse, verse 15. Our sinful nature is hellbent. The quote is, I do the very thing I hate. I do the very thing that I hate. And this is Paul the Apostle talking about the part of us that is always determined to undermine the Word of God. Like that illustration we used last week about the child who received instructions from Mama about the hot stove. Don't touch it because the day you touch it, you're going to get burned. Mommy turns her back on the child. I wonder why I'm not supposed to touch it. Well, she told you already, right? And then we go ahead and touch the hot stove anyway. I think I have marks on my fingers that will be there for the rest of my life because at least three times in my life I disobeyed mommy. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove because you're going to get burned. And that's, that's how the nature within us operates, right? And it operates in two ways. I want you to get this. If you're writing down, write this down. Number one, in principle. Sin, the sinful nature operates within us in principle, in this way, a statement like, I don't care what God says. How many of you have ever made a statement like that? I don't care what God says. You're not necessarily moving in the direction of doing something that's inappropriate. You, you take this positional stance. I don't care what God says. I know somebody who, when confronted from time to time about responsibilities, just simply does this. What am I saying to you when I do this? Right? If I'm your father and I'm giving you instructions and you do this, what are you telling me? I don't, I don't care. I mean, you, you might as well shut up because I'm not listening to you. I don't, I don't care. And so that's what the nature does in principle. But here it is in practice, number two. I know what's expected of me, but I'm doing my own thing anyway. I know what's expected of me, but I'm doing my own thing anyway. And, and you and I are guilty of that. Even as believers, even 5, 10, 15, some of you have been in the faith 20, 30, 40 years. But you're still struggling with this thing, right? Because the sinful nature is real. Number two, which is the flip side, concerning the spiritual nature. This is the part of us that wants to align itself with God's Word. This is the part of us that always wants to do the right thing. This is the part of us that actually enables us to have fellowship with the Almighty God Himself. Ephesians 4.24 gives us this idea. It is created in the likeness of God. Colossians 3.10 says, it leads us, this part of us leads us to true knowledge. Galatians 5.16 says, this part of us allows us to overcome the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 16, Romans 7. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Notice again, he begins with the word now. He begins with the word now in this verse, which again serves to connect a previous thought with the one that he's going to make next. The first point, this point is that Paul, Paul essentially says, now that I've recognized the existence of my sinful condition, my conclusion is this, that the law is good and there is nothing wrong with it. Now, why is this so important? If we think in terms of the law, then those of us looking back to the Mosaic law, we, we, it's easy to understand that it was holy, that it was good. We made those statements and comments last week. But how does it apply to you and I today? No, we don't, we don't subscribe to the law today, but we have the Word of God with us on a regular basis. As Christians, we are supposed to yield our lives to God according to the standard of His Word. Amen, somebody. So, you and I are not to live our lives according to a secular standard. We're certainly, we're certainly not expected to live our lives according to the legal standard of old. That's just not the case. But we are supposed to live our lives today according to the standard of God. Right? According to the standard of God, which is His holy word. And Paul the Apostle says, according to the law, that the law is holy, that the law is good. You and I have to make a similar declaration in our lives today. That God's word is good. That God's word is holy. That there's nothing wrong with it. I'm the problem. You and I are the problem. You and I are the reason why we wrestle with this thing called life. 
The sooner we yield our lives to the word of God, the sooner we yield our lives to enjoying intimacy with our creator, the better off we would be. Amen, church? I think the better off we would be. Look at verses 17 and 18. I'm just going to go through this really quickly. It says, so, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. On the surface, it seems as if Paul was just reiterating his thoughts about the existence of our sinful nature. And to some degree he was. But he was also talking like a Jew while making an emphasis to his Jewish audience about something they had to thoroughly understand about God's redemptive process in their lives. Number one, Jews believed in the existence of God. We know that, right? I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build up a point here. We know that Jews believed in the existence of their God. He had manifested himself, himself in their lives on a regular basis. And these were things that they were perpetuating from one generation to the next. In fact... In the law itself, it says that they were supposed to share these experiences with every, with every succeeding generation. And so they knew that God was real. They also valued the law that they were given by their God. They understood the word of God. At least the old covenant as they understood it. They valued it highly and they knew that God has spoken those words. Yet as a people... They have always wondered why the repetitive, repetitive, repetitiveness of it, I can't even get it out. Why the repetitiveness, there it is, of it all didn't perfect them. And we wonder sometimes as well, why isn't this process perfecting me? Or why hasn't it Perfected us. Look at the verse. It says, if our God, or rather this is like a statement that they're making. If our God is perfect, and He's given us His holy word, why then are we still wandering in circles? Have you ever wondered that? If God is real, like you say He is real. If His word is true, like you say it is true. Why is it that we are somehow still wandering around in circles? Now, these are the Jews that were probably thinking along these lines. What part of God's process is keeping us from our destiny? And as a response, Paul essentially says, God and His system are not the problem. We are. God and His system are not the problem We are. Our sinful nature is the reason why we cannot carry out the good that we want to do. God is never at fault when we are unable to carry out our Christian duties or our Christian responsibilities. Never. Amen, church. He says, I have the the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And that's because sin, it's because sin shackles us. It cripples us. And it keeps us from doing the right thing. Verses 19 and 20 say, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And here Paul the Apostle is just simply repeating. He's giving the same lesson over again. We covered it in in some of the preceding uh, verses. He's just simply using different terms at this point. But but it's important to remember, what is it Paul the Apostle is telling us? i got to close. Can I get the worship team to come up at this time? What is it Paul the Apostle is talking to us about in this one particular section? If you don't understand anything else because of my futile way of delivering it, you've got to understand the context of the passage. The reality of the sinful nature that you and I possess. That as Christians, you and I are supposed to do everything that we are supposed to do to make sure we thoroughly understand this measure of our identity. Now, I know that in Christ we know Jesus, we are saved, and I'm thankful for that, but you have a sinful nature. 
It's the reason why you, you and I go about displeasing this, this God in some of the areas of our lives. It's the reason why we venture out too far away from home from time to time. It's the reason why we surf the internet viewing things that we should not be viewing. It's the reason why we hang out with people we know we shouldn't be hanging out with. Right? I mean, the list is endless. It's the reason why we say some of the things that we say to one another. And then only later to regret it. It's the reason why we think about each other the way we do. The way we do. And I'm talking about those negative aspects of our thoughts toward one another. We have a sinful nature, church. Do your due diligence to be responsible to God. Yield this part of yourself to God. And you watch how God begins to work His miracles in your life. And I think that's one of the things we're going to be talking about the next time I, I stand before you in two weeks. Um, Roy Harburg is going to be before you next Sunday. Uh, because I'm actually going away to Philadelphia tomorrow. I'll be there for uh, until the following Tuesday. So the following Tuesday. I want to go see my granddaughters. I want to see my family. Please keep me in your prayers. Uh, stand with me, church. Please keep me in your prayers. Um, uh, I, I want to use the right words with my family when I get back home. I want to make the best use of time with my family, especially the girls. I have five granddaughters, one grandson, and I covet your prayers in regard to that space. It's not easy. They're struggling. And I want to be responsible, but I want to be sensitive to to where they are as well. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come to church today. Thank you so much for your words. Thank you so much for this particular passage, even though I had a very difficult time with it. Thank you so much for the truth that you give us nonetheless, for the understanding that you give us. And at the very least, Lord God, you inspire us to to study on our own time and to look into what it is you were saying to us. In this particular passage. We thank you for it. We praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people say, let us worship together um, in this last song.
Father, thank you so much for time in your presence today as a family. <clears throat> Please bless us as we go. Father, we have a meal. I thank you for it. We, 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 we praise you for the elements, for the provisions, for the sacrifice that was made by so many of us here today uh, to prepare a meal for, um, for uh, in your presence. Um, uh, bless the food, Father God, to our bodies. Bless it. Sanctify it, Lord God. Thank you so much for the fellowship. Uh, that we're going to uh, participate in right now. Thank you so much for the, for the blessedness of it. Thank you so much for the fruitful conversation, uh, the networking, and for all the wonderful things that are going to transpire uh, in this next hour in the fellowship hall. Bless our time together, Father, these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. So we do have a meal at this time. You're welcome to go there now.